looks to his right and connects. Leeching for the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan. of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. March Madness. Well, it's when you know there's a little bit of spring in the air. And after this last winter, we need it. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, if you're uh, driving now, uh, the Dairy Queen on Packard near Stadium is a virtual beehive of self-destructive behavior right now. Free cones, I hear. So, uh, yeah, there's people walking through traffic, uh, making sudden decisions to stop their vehicles in traffic to consider the possibility of pulling in. Uh, somebody's probably going to get a fender bender or uh, hopefully not get hit by a car. But this is the time of year I call woodchuck season, where <laughs> humans become woodchucks. Uh you know, sort of dazzled by the by the sunlight, returning yeah. warmth, <laughs> and uh, sort of you know your mind starts drifting, but you're still walking, especially if you got your doodle box in your hand. Um, people have a lot of accidents and injuries this time of year, falling off bikes, walking into things. And there's uh, lots of people out and about because of the uh, unusual so weather. Today. Have a care, both as a driver and a walker. So yes, wake up. It's lovely, but <laughs> it's lovely, but have a care. Anyway, uh, I screwed up and in my haste uh, didn't bring some of my material, but uh, we uh, the show goes on. Well, you've mentioned March Madness and on the subject of the sort of spring-related things. I was wondering uh, whether or not anybody has ever done really a conclusive study on the economic impact of March Madness. Because it used to be this sort of fringe thing uh, back in the 80s where some... Uh, participated or looked on as others who did. Uh, and now it's like, it's virtually an, a na national holiday. Yeah. Uh, a lot of work time is lost. A lot of time spent online at work looking at these things and doing your uh, your grid. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of money to be made and money the to be gambled. The office bracket has really so, uh, exploded. <laughs> a lot of economic uh, aspects of March Madness, both positive and negative, Um but it's so widely uh, followed in practice that I, I think that that's probably a suitable uh, subject for uh, an economic study. Well, I think what's interesting about it from a socioeconomic perspective, just for one second, is obviously 
there's the there's the democ- dem- democratization of the concept, but of course the top seeds generally win. Yeah, Kentucky's supposedly even money. This and there's year, so. you know the, there are upsets, but not a, you don't want to go too far with upsets in your brackets generally. I mean you you have to really get lucky. But I think what's interesting about it is the geography of it, the fact that there are teams scattered all over the country. So it does, you know, with the exception of Hawaii and Alaska, it gets the 48 states kind of into something uh, that everybody can kind of get unified about in a kind of a friendly sort of way. A tournament is an intrinsically uh, exciting construct. And yeah, and they've expanded it so much uh, from from recent years. You know, recently, uh, one of the great basketball minds of college basketball, Dean Smith, died. Uh, a longtime coach of North Carolina, and uh, he'd had a lot of really bad luck in the tournament, uh, either not making it, getting key players injured in the ACC tournament, um, all kinds of weird things. It's surprising that they only won. And, of course, he ran into the buzzsaw of UCLA throughout a lot of his career because those teams with uh, Walton and Jabbar uh, were, well— Two years, both of them had completely undefeated seasons where they won all their games and the NCAA tournament. So it's really expanded. In fact, I think back in the in the '60s, it was it was a, a team involving uh, 32 teams. You know, and then it expanded to 64. I think at one time it was only even 16 teams. So it's uh, and the NIT was actually the yeah. big tournament. You know, back when New York was the uh, so-called center of the universe. <laughs> Still is if you go to New York and you talk to sure. those people. Some of those people uh, haven't even been <laughs> past New Jersey. Uh, it's a remarkable thing, and uh, it's fun. You know, it's it, it, at the end of the day, it's uh, I, one thing is for sure. It's definitely a positive influence on the uh, shall we say the bar uh, uh, restaurant. They probably business. see, uh, yeah, they uh, get a nice boom. The uh, sports a bars, uptick, yeah, especially With the first uh, the first week yeah. where you can go into a sports bar and watch multiple a couple games, of games going at the same on time multiple around, screens, yeah. and uh, it's uh, you know it's interesting because during the Ann Arbor Film Festival, I I frequently actually bop over to uh, uh, a couple of the bars nearby mm-hmm. that checking on. Uh, that I know the the games are scores uh, of uh, games going on. The scores of games, and of course, Michigan throughout its uh, its uh, career. Well, Michigan State has now made it eighteen years in a row, but uh, Michigan obviously had injury problems this year, and a couple of of their young players uh, foolishly went pro too early, in my opinion. But uh, John Beeline, uh, to his credit, uh, is 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 remains one of the great basketball coaches uh, in college basketball. So. March Madness, yeah, I think they estimate something like uh, five billion uh, bet, and of course these office pools are technically illegal. Uh, just ask Tom Cotton; he's discovering the Logan Act all of a sudden. <laughs> so we'll give him a brain damage award. Uh, getting back to the news, very quickly, the brouhaha over the the forty-seven senators that decided to send the letter. Uh, this My is baby. Ca- she wrote me a letter. This is this is fascinating because, of course, it was forty-seven was the number that doomed Mitt Romney. What a coincidence! I don't know what's uh, 
what the numerology is with the number 40. What was the number of communists Joe McCarthy said was working in the State Department? <laughs> 47 or well it, it started out at 205 and then it <laughs> gradually went downward and then <clears throat> yeah he eventually decided to make a, a stand on Owen Lattimore and <clears throat> it didn't work out very well and after that he, he sort of <laughs> was so despondent he began attacking uh, um, George Marshall and the US Army That's well in the wake of this these 47 uh, <laughs> Senators, they have uh, uh, a lot of people have been mentioning the uh, Nixon, uh, Anna Chenault. Yes, yes, I have the book right here. Conspiracy right, right there. I have the Treason? book. Treason? Oh, yes. It's, the book right here, Chasing Shadows, the Nixon Tapes, the Chenault Affair, and the Origins of Watergate by Ken Hughes. And, oh, yes, the pesky Logan Act. I, I just wanted to read this because it is fascinating. Written in 1799, um... Still on the books. <laughs> it states, any citizen of the United States, wherever he may be, who, without the authority of the United States, directly or indirectly, commences or carries on any correspondence or intercourse with any foreign government or any officer or agent thereof in relation to any disputes or controversies with the United States or to defeat the measures of the United States, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not for more than three years. I don't know how clear it can be. Uh, this, this letter obviously was uh, foolish, uh, stupid, and uh, A is for um, Amateur, B is for bonehead, C is for cotton, D is for dumb, E is for egregious, F is for fool, I is for idiot. Now I've said my ABCs. Here comes Tommy Cotton hopping down the bunny trail. Hippity hop hop, Easter's on its way. Well, if Obama wanted to uh, parenthetically or theoretically get control of the Senate... Uh, and particularly now that Mitch McConnell seems to be holding up the uh, the confirmation hearings of the new attorney general uh, designated and approved by the Judiciary Committee, he ought to charge these 47 morons with violating the Logan Act. He ought to get on the phone and tell Eric Holder, well, uh, we seem to be having some delays with uh, your successor uh, assuming her position as Attorney General of the United States. Why don't you just open up a preliminary investigation into whether or not the Logan Act was, was violated? Well, the Logan Act has been used before to yeah. prosecute and even exile people. And, of course, the uh, thing with Nixon and the Logan Act is that uh, it's fairly well established. And, of course, the thesis of this book by Ken Hughes... Uh, this book, incidentally, published by the University of Virginia Press. Hey, they're in the tournament. They're actually a, a highly ranked uh, seed. So <laughs> go with the University of Virginia in your, in your sweet 16 bracket. Take it from me. It's a good tip. They're a good team. Um, uh, Ken Hughes, by the way, directs the uh, taping system at the University of Virginia that actually houses uh, the water, some most of the Watergate tapes, as well as the Johnson tapes. And of course, it was Nixon's involvement in sabotaging the 1968 peace talks, uh, 
uh, on the eve of the 68 election that was uh, how and why the Logan Act sort of heard a, a an echo uh, this uh, past week in some of the discussions in the punditocracy. So um, Nixon's role in it was, uh, to summarize just very briefly, he encouraged Anna Cheneau, who uh, was the widow at the, at the time of Claire Cheneau, who was a fighting tiger general that fought in World War II, close to Chiang Kai-shek and the China lobby. Uh, she was a sort of a fundraiser, ambassadorial envoy type person who uh, allegedly uh, made contact at the, with the encouragement of Henry Kissinger, who was uh, working in Paris for Lyndon Johnson to uh, encourage Thu, President Thu at the time, to, some people pronounce it Thu, some pronounce it too, but anyway, uh, to uh, hold out for a better deal uh, that Nixon guaranteed. And of course, this raises the question, you know, when was Kissinger approached? I mean, if he was working for Johnson, yeah, at some point he's approached by the Nixon team. Well, let's just hold on a second here. Yeah, and of course, we know that Henry Kissinger went from being a lower-level envoy, State Department type official in the Johnson administration to actually being the national security advisor for Richard Nixon. Later, to have an unprecedented uh, situation of being both Secretary of State and national security advisor, a position that he the held... The most powerful unelected official in uh, America. That he Well, it's a, it's a position he held uh, in part of the... Uh, at when Nixon resigned, actually, mm -hmm. and, and he continued in that role uh, for Gerald Ford. So Nixon was certainly a uh, a duplicitous type of man, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the Ken Hughes books uh, book Chasing Shadows is interesting for other reasons, because it's got a lot of uh, some of the fascinating uh, banter uh, regarding um, some of the Watergate intrigue. And and as Hughes points out early in the book. While there is no smoking gun about ordering a break-in of the Watergate facilities, there is a smoking gun of Nixon ordering the break-in of the Brookings Institute. Not just a break-in. That's, of course, the... Blow it up! Blow it up! Get in there! Get this! He's even such a specialist on breaking and entering, he, he tells Haldeman, uh, go in about eight or nine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible uh, stuff. And, of course, he's uh, talking about implementing the Houston plan. I want it done. I want those documents. And, of course, it's the obsession that Nixon, the paranoia, the obsession, whatever, the compulsion, obsessive-compulsive disorder, that uh, paranoia that Nixon definitely had as a personality, he was certainly worried in, in, in his re-election bid in 72 about any possible damaging information that might emerge uh, during his re-election campaign because Humphrey uh, was, for a while, uh, a, a candidate in that sort of uh, confused medley of, of candidates that were running. Uh, George Wallace, of course, was there was an assassination attempt on him. He was running as a Democrat that year, uh, having run as an independent in 1968. 
And uh, there's a remarkable phone conversation between Charles Colson and uh, Nixon in which uh, Colson volunteers that he may be able to to spread some some damaging literature near the apartment of Arthur Bremer. <laughs> it's a one-minute conversation, uh, but Nixon uh, calls up Colson and asks him if he's a if he's a right winger or a left winger, and Colson assures Nixon he'll be a left winger by the time I get done with him. <laughs> Remarkable stuff, conspiratorial stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, this. Uh, meddling in the foreign policy of the American government during a sensitive time um, may well backfire on the Republicans. Uh, It's interesting that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, appears uh, now to be uh, not winning tomorrow. The Israeli elections are very, you know, the the Knesset is very complicated and confusing with all of the as are all coalition yeah. system governments yeah the italian government being probably the worst example in the world uh but the israeli one is so fractitious in its composition and there's actually this time it'll be very interesting to see what the results are next week we'll probably talk about it obviously but the uh number of uh palestinians running for the knesset yeah, um, is going to pose problems for uh, Netanyahu, uh, even if he should win. Well, yeah, and and by the way, I did hear part of a discussion uh, today on Diane Reem's show uh, that you may, if you uh, are so inclined, to check out on the uh, on the web. I'm sure they have uh, um, iTunes things that you can find on her uh website i don't know even know what it is but uh you can you can find it out through national public radio but they did have a fascinating uh discussion with four experts all of them experts in my opinion that had superb analysis of the complexities of the israeli political situation and how fascinating to learn that one of the uh, many scandals in the israeli (laughs) presidential parliamentary elections Turns out to be pistachio ice cream. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who knew? <laughs> uh, apparently, the Netanyahu uh, household spends quite a bit of money on pistachio ice cream. So you can Google pistachio ice cream, I'm sure. Just do that, and you'll find out something about the Israeli elections. Uh, it, because it's interesting, most of the pistachios, just for the record, globally are produced either in California or Iran. Or Iran. <laughs> Is Benjamin Netanyahu oh. eating pistachio ice cream? He loves Iranian nuts. Mandrake. <laughs> it's the international communist conspiracy. Children's ice cream. The f- it's fluoridation. It's it's everywhere. It's it's in the ice cream. Well, children's ice cream. Of course, the uh, milkshake on. Uh, <laughs> Adult Swim's uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, uh, Master Shake, who's the biggest <laughs> jerk on the show, is a pistachio milkshake. So perhaps there's some hidden reference there. But I would also mention, mention since you uh, have uh, mentioned something that's available online, that uh, Paul Krugman's piece in today's New York Times uh, called is- Israel's Gilded Age is also quite interesting as a, sort of a background to these uh, round of elections, uh, his basic argument is that there's been an increase 
in economic equality in Israel since the 90s when a sort of oligarchical uh, group had gained control of businesses privatized in the 80s. Gee, that sounds familiar. Um, who now wield undue influence on uh, government policy and banks. Yeah. And, also and, sounds familiar. Yeah, economic policy has been one of the big issues. And, of course, Netanyahu, as the saying goes, is sort of like uh, Benjamin Fra Franklin's comment about uh, overnight guests and fish. <laughs> After three days, they begin to smell. Uh, Netanyahu's just kind of worn out his welcome to some degree and there's even an internal dispute within Likud. So the reason that I recommend this Diane Rehm show uh, and I heard about half of it is that the guests who were on it really knew Israeli politics inside and out. I mean these guys and there were a couple of women journalists um, you know, it was like listening to, to you know all the mania about sweets about, about March Madness. You know, they had inside uh, inside basketball details that were uh, fascinating to to learn about. Well, with the exception of the uh, paper that uh, exists in Israel exclusively for the purpose of uh, cheerleading for Likud, and it's uh, paid for entirely by uh, Newt Gingrich's favorite political sponsor. Uh, who throws a lot of money around yeah. in Israeli politics as well. Uh, Sheldon Adelson has Adelson. thrown in about $5 million yeah. into this. Uh, but <laughs> other than that newspaper, campaign. whose name now evades me, uh, the Israeli media is way more openly critical of its political figures than I think uh, any newspaper in the United States is. Yeah, and that's why... Follow the Israeli media itself. And that's why there are so many parties. I mean, uh, as one of the pundits or one of the experts on the Diane Rehm show pointed out, out, there are even four different Arab uh, mm -hmm. Israeli Arab parties uh, that have decided to sort of join forces and and run as a as a as a block. So these sort of moving coalitions in the Israeli Knesset are are exceedingly uh, fluid, and uh, the coalition government that ends up developing. Uh, and here, once again, we get a kind of an, an interesting technicality about parliamentary democracy. The uh, Queen of England uh, doesn't have a lot of power, but they can do one thing. They can dismiss the government. So, for instance, in uh, 1940, when uh, it appeared that France would be falling soon, King George realized that uh, Neville Chamberlain was not uh, the suitable leader. He dropped the ball, I say. His umbrella was was still open. <laughs> and they needed Churchill. And Churchill was in the same party as Neville Chamberlain. So uh, the monarch in Britain can dissolve Parliament and uh, require the formation of a new government. So it'll be very interesting. And there's, uh, you know, 42 days of, of sort of... Uh, wrangling that can go on after the election if the results are somewhat inconclusive. So this will be very interesting to see what happens. I There's way more issues in Israeli politics than the refusal to negotiate with the Palestinians. Yeah, so as one of the pundits put it quite well, don't buy the headlines completely because the headline may well be that Netanyahu loses, but Netanyahu may not yet be finished. He may yet be a man with uh, a, a ninth life, but I, I suspect that he's on the way out eventually. If, if not now, it, it, 
it strikes me as somewhat soon. Well, I'm sure that somebody at uh, Fox News is already preparing the graphics for his eventual news commentary program. Yeah, or maybe he uh, can come to America and run for president here. He probably... <laughs> or at least boyfriend of Congress. <laughs> he might have some uh, way of becoming an American citizen one way or another. I've, I've always been kind of curious about John McCain being born in the Panama Canal Zone. Uh, well, yeah, dual citizenship is, is... Ted is Cruz kind of a... is another mysterious thing. Uh, Netanyahu did go to college here. Yeah. Well, and he's a very uh, and so, uh, polished American-style politician, which is part partially explains his success. I mean, to his credit, he's been much more, uh, shall we say, moderate than Ariel Sharon. Um, the, the problem with Netanyahu is that I think he's taken this latest Iranian situation and overplayed his hand and it's important to remember that before he addressed congress a couple of weeks ago he 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 went to apac first that was scheduled uh john boehner is the one that decided to uh <laughs> um ignore the logan act <laughs> and invite netanyahu to speak to a joint session of congress blah 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 well this uh shows that John Boehner and Tom Cotton uh, should not be running American foreign policy. And as for the Iranian negotiations, they continue. And let's remember that it's rather insulting for Benjamin Netanyahu to accuse the United States of a, quote, agreeing to a bad deal. We don't know what the deal is. And these are so, the so-called five-plus-one talks. These involve other countries, right. including Russia. <laughs> Oh, yes, there's been a sighting of Putin. <laughs> he apparently uh, had disappeared for a week or two, and there were some strange criminology watching. He just had a shirt on and blended in. Well, he was probably working out in the Mongolian steppes with either a yak. Fish wrestling. Or a big bear. But, uh, yeah, he apparently... Uh, did meet the Prime Minister of Kyrgyzstan today. So he has not been overthrown yet. But that may well happen yet. Uh, as for the Logan Act, I suspect that Obama won't pursue such a thing, but you know that Richard Nixon would have pursued a Logan Act prosecution of Democrats had they decided to uh, write a letter to Mount Tung say, on the eve of uh, ping-pong diplomacy. Uh, so, yeah, do beware of sending correspondence to foreign leaders. Uh, it was remarkable to hear one of the senators who signed the letter tell Kerry, John Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry, that we didn't write the letter to the Ayatollah of Iran. We wrote it to you. And I thought, well, wait a minute. The letter says, Dear Ayatollah. <laughs> Maybe that's just a pet name. For it's, uh, it's, it's rather remarkable stuff. Uh, so, the, yeah, the Ringling Brothers announced uh, a couple of weeks ago that circus elephants are no longer going to be used. Uh, there are 13 openings for circus elephants at the Ringling Brothers Circus. I would recommend that 13 of the 47 Republicans... Apply for the job. 
They can do tricks with beach balls. Well, I don't know. That 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 goes a little too far. It insults the dignity of those working elephants <laughs> <laughs> who actually do something to entertain people, although they are exploited, and that's probably a good thing to discontinue that practice. You uh, are and have been listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. And Yazoo City Calling will be coming up in just a couple of minutes. And as for Tom Cotton, just refer to him in the future. Commander Cotton. Commander Cotton. <laughs> he is in charge of the Dim Brigade. So it's the charge of the Dim Brigade. <laughs> the Dim Brigade. <laughs> in honor of Alfred Lord Tennyson. <laughs> Who turned out the lights? <laughs> Who turned out the lights? Does John McCain have his space helmet yet? Okay, we're ready for action. Uh, so this will be fascinating to see what happens uh, in the aftermath of this uh, these, these Iranian negotiations, which are still underway, still in progress. I'm hoping for a deal. I don't quite understand how scuttling the deal helps... The cause of nuclear nonproliferation. That's the point of the deal. Or the continued worldwide economic growth, which the European economy is sort of, you know, very closely attached to the energy sector as well. So uh, there's a lot of reasons for Europe to be uh, very interested in seeing something like normalization between America and Iran. Yeah, and Iran sounds like they want to cut a deal simply on the grounds of, of uh, uh, having the sanctions eased or ended. Uh, Russia apparently's role in the, all of this, by the way, is they're going to be the recipient of the fuel uh, situation involving the centrifuges that may or may not remain. So there are lots of complicated details here, but it's strange and interesting that the Iranian government has referred to this letter a couple of times in today's negotiations uh, that, are, that are still ongoing. So it's uh, a fluid situation, as they say, everywhere you go. We're out of time. Uh, thanks to Andrew for engine uh, engineering once again this evening. Do stay tuned uh, here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor for Yazoo City Calling, which is coming up next. Let us journey in fancy to Havana and sit at a table in the gay restaurant Paris. At the next table, we see perhaps a farewell party given for an American visitor. The American is wondering how he'll be able to repay in his own country the hospitality shown him in Cuba. Reassuringly, his Cuban host might remark, Es muy fácil, amigo. Just be sure to serve wonderful... WCBN-FM. It's imported by us from your own country. If you aren't already one of the millions enjoying... WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. ...regularly, as a delicious beverage anytime, to add sparkle to any meal, to smarten your entertaining. Make your own taste test to choose your favorite. Choosing from... WCBN. ...many different types. When you learn their modest cost here in America, with no import duty to pay, no expensive shipping charges to absorb, you'll know why we say WCBN for your daily enjoyment. I'll spell out the name for you. WCBN. Made in Ann Arbor for enjoyment throughout the world. Good evening. The time is 7.01. This is Yazoo City Calling, our weekly tribute to down-home blues music, broadcasting to you live every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. on 88.3 FM. Thanks for joining us this evening. My name is Weston, and I'll be your host this week. 
This program was started in 1988 by Jerry Mack, and we're glad to be keeping it alive here on air for you in Washtenaw County. We'll get started with Texas Alexander this evening playing Levy Camp Moan, which is